you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is Riley Sager, award-winning author of the 2017 novel Final Girls, an international bestseller, really quite a page-turner about a sole survivor of a horror movie-scale massacre. So you could say Riley Sager's operating in the horror genre. Some would say thriller, but in his newest book, Survive the Night, it feels like quite an homage to film noir, that gritty, cloudy, dark genre of of movies with hard-boiled characters and mysterious, unreliable protagonists, usually from the 1940s. This book is about college student Charlie Jordan, who has just gotten into a car with a man who could be a serial killer. The book takes place in November 1991, so that means that Nirvana is in the tape deck, George H.W. Bush is in the White House, and we have Charlie, who is a movie-obsessed college student, a film studies major, trying to go home for Thanksgiving, who decides she's going to do this rideshare program with Josh Baxter, who claims to be going going her way. She's trying to get back to Ohio. He claims to be doing the same thing. The thing is, there have been three murders on her college campus. The most recent victim was her best friend, Maddie. And as Charlie gets into the car, and as their dialogue unreels, she starts to get a little bit more suspicious of Josh. Could he be the campus killer? It doesn't help that the trauma of Charlie's life, especially exacerbated by the death of her best friend, Maddie, has led her to immerse herself in movies that are taking place inside of her mind. Movies become a true form of escapism for her to cope. And as she's driving along with Josh, the lines of reality begin to blur. Is this a movie she's living through or is it real life? Who is Josh Baxter? Where could he be driving her? All this unravels within one car over 300 thrilling pages. The newest book from Riley Sager, pseudonym of the Pennsylvania-born author who up until really breaking out in 2017 was already a published author, also a journalist, editor, currently based over in New Jersey. This book starts from New Jersey and starts heading west on this nerve-wracking road trip. So because this book is rather fast-paced, it kind of takes place all within one night with plenty of flashbacks, we talked to Riley Sager about whether or not he feels like he fits into the horror genre or something else, the challenge of constructing a story that had to take place within a car, and all of the charming references to classic movies and to that specific year 1991. We talk about the music that came out in 91. We talk about the movies that came out in 1991 and a whole lot more. So here's our chat. But there's still like that moment where you're like, this is almost real. Right. Tomorrow, this will actually be real. Right. And you already had one book birthday where you had to have it in a quarantine scenario where you couldn't do any book signings. So maybe this one's a little brighter, I guess, a little cheery. I I hope so. I I never thought that I would be doing a second release under these conditions. And if there's a third, I might just, you know, (laughs) crawl into a closet with a bottle of bourbon and just be done with everything. Let's get into Survive the Night. Uh, the big question I have is what was it like to 
as a novelist to structure a book like this where it was going to take place within a rather concentrated period of time within a very confined space in which your protagonist had to stay in that space uh, with the exception of maybe some parking lots. Tell us about working through that challenge. (laughs) I don't like making things easy on myself, (laughs) I think is the the answer. Um, My previous book, Home Before Dark, was so complex. Mm -hmm. It was a dual timeline, 25 years apart. There was literally an entire book within the book. And it was so complex and so exhausting and so difficult Mm -hmm. that when it came time for a follow-up, I wanted to go in the complete opposite direction. I wanted as bare bones as possible. And you can't get more bare bones than two people in a car. (laughs) And then it became... I kind of want to do it in real time. Mm-hmm. Like I just I just thought that it would be more effective to have the reader experience what Charlie's experienced literally from I mean I play with the time and sure. at the end a little bit but for the first half of the book yeah it's pretty much right a chunk an, an hour in the book is an hour it takes someone to read mm-hmm. that part and mm-hmm. it was a fun little challenge to myself to yeah. be like how can I keep the reader in suspense and tense while it's still really just two people in a car. Sure. And we're not talking about they're just uh, chit-chatting like they're in a, a, an elongated Tarantino dialogue scene. The plot has to move along. The story has to move along, I rather I should say. So quite a yeah, feat. And, and um, the answer was mind games. <laughs> so many mind games right. are going on in that car. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about, I mean, my first guess would be that there is a convenience as a writer to go to an era where there are not uh, smartphones, but were there any other uh, motivations to put us in 1991 for this? It's kind of a delicious time, Nirvana, Silence of the Lambs, MTV is still music videos, all that. What attracted you to that era? The, the, the first attraction was the lack of technology. Right. Like this, this, this book would not exist if cell phones existed because right. Charlie would just well, once you wouldn't even get in the car with Josh because she would just Google him. She would face, you know, look him up on Facebook and be like, no, I'm not doing this. And she would just hail, you know, hail an Uber and sure. be done with it. And so I knew that the only call for help could be made on a payphone. And if you're in the middle of nowhere, you literally didn't know where you were because you couldn't, there was no GPS to tell you where you were. And so I liked the constraints without technology and then there is the fact that in november of 1991 i was a senior in high school Mm -hmm. and you remember everything about that time it's it's unforgettable you remember the movies and the music and the clothes that was on tv to make it a little bit easier on myself i knew i wouldn't need to do any research Mm -hmm. like so i knew yeah sansa the lambs came out in february 1991 thumb louise came out in may 1991 beauty and the beast came out a week after the events of this book. So I cannot mention Beauty and the Beast (laughs) because Charlie hasn't seen it yet. You know the timeline. Yeah, I I knew the timeline. And it was funny that the copy editor, when the book was written and just going over things, would pose these questions like, are you sure you want to mention Brad Pitt here? It was like, yes. Oh, yeah, of course. Like he was huge at that point because of Thelma and Louise, Mm -hmm. which took place in May. And Mm -hmm. so like, I just, I I felt weird correcting the copy editor, but I, I knew... 1991 backwards and forward <laughs> and so yeah it, it was it was a little bit of 
sparing myself some heavy historical research. Right. Now, I want to I want to first pay you a compliment and then maybe ask you to reveal how the magic trick happens when you have written books that are in first person. But this is just personal for me. When I read this book and any of your books that are in third person, I still feel like I am very much in the heads of your protagonist, almost to the point where I, it is first person. So I don't know how you do that, but you do that. It's very well. Well done. Oh, thank you. But I don't know either. <laughs> we really get to know Charlie and we're really in her head and she's got a lot. She's got a lot going on, uh, clearly. But tell us about what it was like to, because we've, we've heard of this trope, uh, the unreliable narrator. And obviously this is not first person, but we do have a scenario where she is very cautious and doubtful and suspicious of Josh. Josh is a, an unreliable protagonist charlie because of these blurs of reality also unreliable you have two unreliable people was that what was that like for you as the creator yeah. well it, it really it, it stemmed from trying to come up with reasons why charlie would stay in this car even after there's some moments where she might have an opportunity to leave this car mm -hmm. and i knew it needed to be something rooted in her psychology and not just that, but that she doubts herself and her own reality. And so I knew that she was going to be a film studies major because I was a film studies major. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and again, saving on the research. So I, I wanted it to be involved with movies somehow. And so for Charlie, she has the movies in her mind, which, you know, the diagnosis in reality is hallucinations severe ones but she doesn't see it that way she sees it as movies in her mind because she's had so many horrible things happen to her and she deals with it by retreating into the movies that she loves and to the point where under complete you know extreme stress her brain will just do this thing mm -hmm. where it snaps and she perceives what's happening as if it's a film right. and she's just watching it and it's not happening to her. It's just something she's screened. I thought it was a great way to just cast doubt on things that are happening in the book. Like right. you don't know, is this a movie in her mind? Is this really happening? Is Josh messing with her? And I thought it was a really fun mind game to play with the audience. Yeah. Actually, that also kept her in the car. So it like served like this double narrative purpose. Right. And you write those scenes very beautifully. It's very mesmerizing. It feels like reality does blur. There's a cloud of atmospheric doubt going on there. Cinematic, actually. I actually wanted to jump back to that other question. I just had this thought while I was reading it. It is also good to, to put this main character, who's a film buff, film studies, in 1991, because I also feel like that's before, that's before Criterion Collection became quite a thing. That's before Reservoir Dogs makes independent film a thing. That's before IFC, Sundance Channel, Miramax, all this stuff. So I think being a film buff in 1991 was still a bit more niche, you know? So Well, it was amazing because when I was looking back on the movies that came out this year, and yeah. this, this was before the indie invasion. Right. Like that happened literally like the next year, right. everything changed. But in 1991, these big, risky, bold classics mm -hmm. were what my friends and I would go see on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. So we were going to the multiplex to see Sus and Wheeze and JFK and Bugsy and Boys in the Hood and just it was such an amazing movie year. It's a good year. And it really was. Yeah. And it was also a year in which these strong kick-ass female characters like 
really took hold. Like it was, there was Clary Starling and Thelma Louise and Sarah Connor in T2. And and you're 18 just, and you're very formative. So it imprints. Yeah. So there, there was something going on in the culture. And of course, Charlie would sort of absorb that because she was keeping up with all of this. Mm-hmm. And so she eventually sort of looks to these women as potential saviors and yeah. inspiration. Amazing point. And you always have strong female protagonists in your in your book. So you're carrying on that tradition from 1991. And it's probably because I went to see all these movies right. in 1991. Right. I noticed a, a trend in your books that there's always something involving an art form of some kind. So Survive the Night is uh, waxing very romantically on movies. You know, Home Before Dark, it's books. Uh, last Time I Lied, there is paintings, uh, visual art, lock every door, architecture. Were you aware of this going on, that you have art throughout your books? Final Girls, it's baking. Right. Yeah, I, I, um, I think it's, it's good. I like to give characters interesting professions or hobbies. And it's, it's interesting for me as an author to delve into the mind of a painter. And I cannot paint to save my life. Me neither. But I want to. And I, I was jealous of, of Emma's artistic talent. So I think it's it's interesting to give them something involving creation mm-hmm. because creating things can be cool. Mm-hmm. As an author, it can also be it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much that goes into a finished product. And it says a lot about a person to know that they're capable of doing this certain thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, it's 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 very it's not intentional, but it's it's I guess in an obsession of mine that I just sort of keep going there every time. Uh, possibly the last question here is, what do you think about when you're a writer? Obviously, this probably doesn't come into your mindset when you're in the midst of the creative process, but it obviously comes up all the time in the interview section and when you have to start promoting the book. When you think of the the idea of, of genre, you know, folks have used the word thriller, folks have used the word horror. There are other authors out there that that, that embrace that. They say, yeah, I'm totally a horror author. When I was reading this book, I almost felt like you were truly immersed in not film noir, but we could call it book noir. I almost feel like you write noir books. What do you think of that? That's I consider that a great compliment because like, film noir is awesome. Yeah. Um, and there there was like the the initial idea that popped in my head for this book. Like it was this out of the blue sentence that popped into my head. Film noir, Little Red Riding Hood. Ah, I like it. And I I I. I must have been looking at something film noir related, something for just to, to ping. And like, it was like the light bulb went off and I'm like, huh? Yeah, there might be something there. And I, I like to point out to people and people who've read the book, they don't notice it until I point it out to them, but it is little red riding hood. Like Charlie is wearing a red coat that was passed down to her from her roommate. And she's literally going to grandmother's house. And Josh is uh, physically, I think, big. And, and big, and she, got, she gets a ride with the big bad wolf. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, um, so that was a thing that I'm like, this is, this. there's an idea there. This, I think there's a book there. That's the thing is like, you're, you're reactivating almost these allegories. Uh, final girls, everyone knows what final girls means when you say it. And you're creating a book out of that. You're tapping into Red Red Riding Hood and opening up a whole new world for it. It's very fun and scary. <laughs> well, it is. It is fun to use 
things that have come before as sort of a springboard because you can lean into what people know about certain things and then also completely subvert them. Mm -hmm. And that to me is very enjoyable. I have enjoyed our chat, sir. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you very, very much. I had a great time. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Bye. And that was our chat with Riley Sager about his latest novel, Survive the Night. His first thriller was Final Girls. It became a national and international bestseller and won awards as well, receiving praise from Stephen King. Riley's next three books that are out there already, The Last Time I Lied, Lock Every Door, and Home Before Dark. Survive the Night came out just last week. More info at RileySagerBooks.com. And this has been A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. If you want to support this podcast, go to ferndalefriends.org. My name is Jeff Milo, and of course, every week, the music that you hear coming in and out of this podcast is by local musician Chad Stocker. Please remember to follow us, uh, leave a comment, leave a review, tell a friend about this podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, share it to social media. We really appreciate you listening, and tune in next week for more.